by Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thank you for tuning in again, and we won't waste any time with introductions. We will bring on our guest for today, Adam Hildebrandt. He is the men's basketball and baseball voice for Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Adam, we know you're a better golfer than both me and John Thayer in my <laughs> office. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. I don't. I don't. Luckier, maybe the 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 more accurate phrase than better. I I distinctly remember getting several excellent bounces off of tree limbs and trunks. But uh, I, I'm doing all right. The the old saying is that it's better to be lucky than good. That's but right. Let's just start this. Um, there's obviously some breaking news going on in your world, where the head coach Scott Sutton. Uh, was just let go at Oral Roberts today as we record this. And I think that that's a situation that a lot of broadcasters at some point have to go through where, you know, you build a relationship and a rapport with a coach and then one day uh, they're just not there anymore. And there's obviously nothing you can do about it. What was your initial reaction uh, when you found out that news? Well, I I was kind of surprised. Obviously, I'm not anywhere near involved in, in that kind of decision-making or anything of that nature. But, uh, you know, I did, I found out on Twitter, like everybody else did. Um, I, I didn't have any, I, I didn't really have any concern that, that he might not be around next season that, that I might have to build a, uh, you know, build a new rapport with a new coach. So I, I was pretty surprised. Um, I, I've kind of been just digesting that news. And, and, uh, of course we already have, had had one assistant coach that had left to take a head coaching job uh, at Division Two Maryville, and so we're going to have basically a whole new coaching staff next year, which is is going to be kind of interesting. But I'm, I'm I'm interested to see who they hire. I'd, I'd, uh, I'm interested to see what role uh, Rodney Perry plays in the, as kind of the interim role. How how he's going to go about that because he's kind of uh, heading up a, a ship that is you know quote unquote looking for a new direction right now because we're not sure who the next head coach is going to be. So uh, I'm just kind of keeping an eye on the news cycle and, and seeing how it all plays out. Obviously, it happened outside of basketball season, so you don't necessarily have to deal with it on the air uh, in that facet. But obviously, you are in baseball season, and if an Oral Roberts fan of baseball is probably a basketball fan, do you bring up uh, that news in your next baseball broadcast or not? I, I think I probably will. Uh, if, for for this reason, if if no other, it's one of the majors being one of the major sports on campus, basketball. It, I think it would be not ill inadvisable, but I think I would probably not be completely doing my job if I didn't mention something about it. Now that being said, uh, I, I won't spend a lot of time on it because it is a baseball broadcast. Baseball is having a really good season, so I want to be focusing on those guys. But I, I think I will probably bring it up, at, at least mention it, and. Uh, probably say some sort of maybe a little thank you on air to Scott Sutton because he treated me really well in my first year here, my first division one job. So uh, it, it'll probably be mentioned, but I, I won't, won't probably dwell on it a ton. And I'm not, obviously I don't know your opinion and I'm not asking for your opinion on this, uh, on, on the decision, but how difficult is it to keep your opinion to yourself and be a company man, whether it's a, a positive or negative opinion? Oh, it's it's really not all that difficult to be honest. Uh, I I I did have uh, the fortune, quote unquote. I guess it's it's an unfortunate situation, but I have the experience of going through a situation uh, in which a head coach was fired previously when I was working in Missouri and covering Central Methodist football. Uh, they let go a coach who I had been working with for a few years up there, and so I, I've kind of been through this situation before. Uh, and, and I'm not really handling any differently. I, I've always been, especially with social media, you know, I, I always want to, you know, I've, I've kind of played it straightforward. I've always tried to keep it a, a professional Twitter account. And, uh, you know, it's, 
it's not really my place to say one way or the other because it, it's way above my pay, my pay grade. It's way above my decision making, and uh, I'm, I'm going to support the school either way. I have a, a belief in this program and where it's going, and, and I also have uh, a, a big appreciation for Scott Sutton and not only what he's done for the RU program as a whole, but but what he's done for me individually in, in my uh, my one year here so far, my my one year working with him. So um, as as long as I think as you treat it professionally and you, you keep a positive outlook, keep things in perspective about what's going on, uh, then, then I don't think it's really too difficult of a situation to handle. So what will step one when the next coach is hired be to build that new rapport from scratch? Well, I, I think I'll probably see if I can take him out to dinner once, once he gets into town would, would be my first thing. I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, an in-person relationship builder anyhow, uh, as, as you know, Logan, because, you know, we met in North Carolina a couple of times. So, um, But I, I think that'll probably be my first step is just to get in touch with him either by email or if I can, you know, get his phone number through the athletic department early on uh, through that and just see if I can – you know, take him out to the local burger joint or whatever and, and just sit down and have a chat, uh, kind of welcome him to town. It'll, it'll be a little bit weird being that, I mean, I've lived in the Tulsa area, Broken Arrow, basically my whole life. So unless they hire somebody who's from here, I will know a lot more about the town and uh, the the things surrounding ORU, despite having only worked at ORU for one year. Uh, so that, that will be kind of interesting. But uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing whoever it is next. Uh, for all I know, it, it may be somebody – uh, currently connected to the program. Maybe I know him already. I don't know. But that'll that'll probably be my first move, see if I can take him out to a meal and, and just chat and kind of get to know each other a little bit. All right. We'll get away from that topic. We don't want you to get in any trouble over this. But uh, what was your first experience getting into the radio business? What was your first exposure to doing play-by-play? Uh how, how first do you want to go here? You want me to go like all the way back? Let's or go like when all I first the way back, back, and then we'll go okay. to first profession. My my first play-by-play experience uh, came when I was like five years old. I had a Super Nintendo, and I had NFL Madden whatever. I don't think it was even Madden back then. I think it was just an NFL game. Uh, and so I'd, I'd put it on and play computer on computer, and – talk into uh you know from toy story the little recording tape recorder that woody has that he uses to make announcements <laughs> yeah i had i had one of those so I, I i would record quote unquote play by play into tapes i don't know how or i decided that i would do this at that age but that that was my very first play by play experience and I'm, I'm sure my mom probably still has those tapes somewhere but uh when when I really, I, I had always kind of thought it was a fun thing and I enjoyed listening on the radio, but for some reason it never occurred to me that I could do play-by-play as a profession until I went to sports media club at Oklahoma state, uh, before my, in between my junior and senior year in high school. And at, at that time I thought I was going to go into the air force and become a, a pilot of some sort. I had gone up and, and seen air forces campus, not on like an official visit or anything. I just got up there with my family and I uh, have some family that have retired in the Air Force, so I thought I was probably going to go do that. And uh, went to that camp that summer, and we called uh, minor league baseball and indoor football, which was incredibly difficult. And uh, I, I caught the bug. I was like, man, I could actually you know, do this for a career, and I hadn't really thought about that. So in, after that three-day camp, I, I knew that was exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, enrolled at OSU the next year and basically went through four years doing everything that I could in terms of trying to teach myself how to, uh, how to be in radio. My, my sophomore year, I picked up some freelance work doing uh, color analysis for a high school football team that was about 70 or so miles west of Stillwater out, out really in the middle of like Northern Oklahoma, Northwestern Oklahoma. Uh, did that for a year, was fortunate that uh, the guy running those stations was an OSU grad and asked if there was a student that might be interested and got hooked up with that. And then I actually even started my own high school broadcast my junior and senior years of high school. So uh, I, I kind of dove in early and, and tried to get as much experience as I could uh, before I really got out into the, the full-on professional world. Yeah, I did a little bit of reading, uh, looking to what I could find, and it looked like your first job out of school, and correct me if I'm wrong, you basically just bought your own equipment, 
procure, procured your own airtime and sold your own advertising, basically just ran your own business. Is that correct? Uh, yes, except for that wasn't after school. That was actually while I was in, still in school. That's what I did my junior and my senior year of college. Um, I, as I mentioned, I was, I was doing that color analyst job my sophomore year. And I was like, well, this is great. But what I want to do is play by play. And I need to figure out a way to do this consistently. And I was very fortunate a, a professor of mine, Dr. John McGuire, uh, who's still at Oklahoma state. I, I kind of told him that what I was wanting to do. And he walked through, walked me through the steps of how that could become possible. And, uh, between he and, and Dave Hunziker, who's the voice of the Cowboys, I was able to bounce ideas off of them and kind of come up with a little bit of a business plan, which wasn't much of a business plan, <laughs> granted. But, uh, yeah, I, I went and researched and, and called a couple of stations and figured out, you know, what it would cost to put games on the air and did some research to figure out what it would cost to get the equipment necessary. And from there, I knew how much it was going to cost. I just had to figure out how to make the money. And so I, I went to, uh, fortunately, my uh, my position coach when I was playing high school football at Lincoln Christian was working in administration and sports administration there at Lincoln. And I went to him and said, hey, I'd really like to do the games. You guys don't even have to put up any money. You just got to give me permission. And they said, yes, uh, KCFO, AM KCFO in, in Tulsa had the pastor of Church on the Move, which is associated with Lincoln Christian School on the air from time to time. So I figured I'd start with them. They said, sure, but you got to pay us $400 a game, I think it was. And so I figured out how to scratch that up, kind of started with current sponsors at Lincoln and, and grew from there. And I actually lost money the first year. Uh, it it did not it did not go poorly, but it, as as with any you know business venture, it's uh, hard to make ends meet early on. I, I think I lost about $1,500 that first year between uh, equipment costs and, and airtime costs, but I had enough to, to at least get it on the air, enough sponsors to, to get me started and, and get the season rolling. And we were able to put 13 games on the air that year all the way through the postseason and then came back the next year. And uh, 99.5 FM, big country in Tulsa, came to the school and said, Hey, we'd really like to put the games on the air, but the, the cost is a little higher for airtime. It's about two grand a game. And I was like, Whoa, um, there was absolutely no way I was going to do that. But the, the school and the church decided that they wanted to do that. So, so they kind of backed it that way. And, and we tried to sell as much advertising as we could to make up the difference. But so I, I kind of oversaw the move to a hundred thousand watt FM country station and had the games on there the second year. So it was quite the learning experience for me to get to go through that for two years, kind of see how the, the radio business side of that worked. I, I got to, you know, work with engineers and, and board ops and things of that nature for the first time and really figure out kind of how all that worked. And it was just absolutely wonderful experience to, to get me prepared to, to get into the professional world. What lessons did you learn trying to sell your own games? Uh, you gotta be prepared to hear no a lot, a whole lot. Um, you know, a lot of people will tell you, no, if you are a known salesman and, and are calling for a known entity, I was a college kid calling about a broadcast and, and a football team that was not, not necessarily little known in Tulsa, but you know, there, there's not a lot of clamoring for, for class 2A football at the time to, to be on the air in Tulsa because they've got all the big boys around Tulsa. So uh, I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of answering machines. But uh, I, I learned that if you persevere, you're going to at least find enough people with interest to to get you started and or in some cases just plain old help you out because they could. I actually, the first guy who I contacted to be a sponsor on the broadcast actually initially said no and said, hey, my my business is actually doing so good. Um, I'm, I'm not really looking for new, new clients right now. I don't really need advertising. That's a lie. And every time they say it, you would think so. Yeah, but I'd, I'd somehow in the just in the conversation because he was a Lincoln guy and he was he was a parent at the school and in, in the conversation I was like, man, I just need somebody to get me started here so I can get this thing rolling. And he was like, you know what, we'll we'll go ahead and do it. And they did. Uh, I was very thankful to him and, and his business for getting us off the ground. But yeah, I learned you got to you got to be prepared to hear no a lot and and kind of push through it anyway. And I, in terms of the broadcasting side, I learned you got to be prepared for every situation. Uh, lots of crazy, uh, not only press boxes, but just scenarios in terms of how I was trying to get games on the air in 
small, tiny towns all the way across the northern part of the state of Oklahoma, and in some cases, the southeast part. So uh, I, I kind of became a, a jack-of-all-trades engineering-wise pretty early as well. Did you ever get thrown out of a business? I did not. No, I did not get thrown out of a business. Uh, that being said, I, I didn't go face-to-face into many businesses due to the fact that I was in school in Stillwater. So a lot of my sales were done over the phone trying to get a hold of people and call people since I was over there going to school full-time anyway. Um, I did personally call on some business. I never got thrown out, uh, but very rarely did I get to a decision maker either. That was, uh, again, when, when a you know, 21-year-old or in the case when I started trying to sell for my junior season, the first year we did it, I was still a sophomore, so I was all of 20. When a, a baby-faced 20-year-old walks in and, and wants to sell you, I think it was $900 worth of advertising for the whole football season, uh, you'd, it'd, it'd probably tough to take him serious. I know I'd probably be like, who who is this kid and where is he coming from? So, But no, I, I never got thrown out, but I, I did get a lot of polite no's. Okay, so let's move on to your first professional gig. What was the break that you ended up getting to uh, get on the air and get paid for it from someone else instead of going and making your own money in college? I I started applying before I actually graduated, um, probably in March or so of my senior year. And I had been kind of looking all around, but had applied to a couple of places and I, I actually had interviewed for a job in Oberlin, Kansas, not Overland Park, which is near Kansas City, but Oberlin, Kansas, which is only about 20 miles south of, uh, oh man, I can't remember the name of the town in Nebraska now, but it's, it's about 15, 20 miles south of the Nebraska border and uh, real, real small town. So I'd interviewed there and then I got a call back from a station in Moberly, Missouri, which is where I I'd first moved after college. And they I, I kind of actually struck gold. They had three guys leave in the same summer. And they had a whole newsroom staff full of a, a bunch of sports guys that doubled as news guys. And so I, I felt like I had a pretty good chance to get in there, not only because they had several openings, um, but I, I had somewhat of an in because Dave Hunziker, the voice of the Cowboys, who had become my mentor by this point through college, um, actually grew up in that area of Missouri. He was from far northeastern Missouri and was went to the rival high school of the guy who had become my boss in Mobley. So Dave was nice enough to give me a call and a reference, and I was fortunate that he really liked my resume with the with the high school broadcast on it from when I was doing that for two years. So uh, we actually I interviewed for that job on my honeymoon in New Orleans. We were driving from. Tulsa to Miami to save on airline miles, but we stopped in New Orleans to go to a Chick-fil-A grand opening. You may or may not know, Logan, that if you are one of the first 100 people at a Chick-fil-A grand opening, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year. So we we decided we would stop in this uh, Chick-fil-A in New Orleans, and that's where I did my interview for this job was getting sunburnt, sitting outside the New Orleans, brand new New Orleans Chick-fil-A, waiting for my year of, uh, of free Chick-fil-A. So my boss well, future boss at the time, but my boss thought that was hilarious, and I guess it won some points with him. But uh, that was kind of, I guess, the the point where I really started to solidify that job was uh, right there in the Chick-fil-A parking lot in New Orleans. Did you end up being one of the first hundred people, and did you get that Chick-fil-A for a year? Uh, I did, yes. Uh, it was it was 50, they give you 52 cards for a number one. So you get one, one free meal per week, and then you get them per person. So my wife and I each got them. So we had 104 free number one meals at Chick-fil-A. Uh, we had to get there at like, I think we got there at something like 3 a.m., and then you check in at like 6 a.m., and then you actually camp out for 24 hours. They let the first 100 people into the campsite, which is the parking lot, and they throw like a block party. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, but, yes, we, we did get our free Chick-fil-A. They, they run uh, – they use it as a test for all their employees, so they make you food, so you don't have to buy food while you're there. You just get to eat free Chick-fil-A, and then they give you Chick-fil-A at the end of it. So, yeah, we were successful, and it was uh, I ate a lot of good Chick-fil-A after that. Basically, any time I was on the road after that, I just stopped Chick-fil-A for food. Did you lose any marriage points stopping at a Chick-fil-A grand opening and waiting in line on your honeymoon? Oh, no, it was her idea. It was, <laughs> it was 100% uh, my wife Chris's idea. 
And uh, that fortunately, that was, I mean, I don't know that I would have necessarily thought of doing that, but I'm glad she had the idea. Um, and kind of, kind of the rest of that story with Carissa, we were, the, our next stop on the way to Miami was Orlando. She had done the Disney internship and still had some friends that worked at Disney. And she had always told me how Disney was the happiest place in the world. And uh, I said, nah, I don't really believe you. But I told her that if I got offered the Mobley job while we were on the grounds at Disney World, that I would believe her that it was the happiest place on earth. And sure enough, if my future boss didn't call me at like 7 p.m. while we were on the grounds at Disney to tell me that I got the job. So now now I have to admit, even publicly on a, on a podcast, that uh, I, I do now believe that Disney World is the happiest place on earth. It's okay. We only have like six people listening, so you won't have to, <laughs> won't have to <laughs> tell too many people. But uh, it, I believe after that, it, and again, correct me if I'm mistaken, you were there until you got the Southwestern Oklahoma State University job, correct? Mm-hmm. That and, is correct. Yeah, I was. Uh, I spent four and a half years there. And then you ended up getting the Swasu job, and that was just barely before, I, I think it was just a matter of weeks before you ended up with that Oral Roberts job. How did you end up uh, procuring the Swasu gig, and how difficult was it to leave on such short notice, and were they angry or were they supportive? What was their reaction? Well, uh, to, to start from the beginning in terms of how I how I got it, I had been looking for a while for kind of that next step because I was getting uh, NAI football and a little NAI basketball and some fill-in D2, but I was really looking for kind of that, that full-time D2 job or even the small Division One job. And when I saw that job open in Weatherford, I was like, okay, this is it because it's two and a half, maybe three hours from Tulsa, so it was less than half the distance to home from where we were currently living. Cause Chris and I's parents both still live in broken arrow, which is a Tulsa suburb. Um, so I was like, you know, that's perfect. It's a like full-time division two job, men's women's basketball, football. I can get all the reps I need. And I was still, pre- and it was getting me out of the news cycle. See news and weather and obituaries were all a big part of my job in Moberly. And so I was going to get to focus just on sports and play by play. So I was super fired up about it and sales. Um, so I, I, I applied, I, I did, I, I have kind of a checklist of things that I've uh, picked up from different, uh, not only different broadcasters, but, you know, Sportscasters Talent Agency of America and, and tips in terms of how to apply and, and how to follow up and things like that. So I went down this whole checklist and it went really well. I went down there and interviewed and, and at one point, it might've been the summer before I had actually asked John Chalesnick at SCAA, you know, do I take a job if I think something else might come open? And he said, well, you can't really just wait around hoping that a better job opens up. You kind of have to, you, you need to take what's in front of you. And I had no idea that this would be the situation at the time, but uh, I, I went and took that job. I you know, eventually got hired. And at the time, ORU was not an opening. In fact, I had met Jeff Haxton, who was my predecessor at uh, the NSMA and SDAA weekend in Salisbury, North Carolina last summer. And at the time he kind of thought he might be up for the Texas tech job, but it, they, they thought they were, were going to hire somebody else. And so for all we knew that wasn't going to happen. And hacks was going to be here at ORU for at least another year. Who knows how long he'd been here for over a decade and, and loved it here. So I was like, you know, that's a good connection to have. I, I like him. He's a friend. And, uh, and, you know, we can connect in, in Tulsa when I'm at home. So I uh, was looking forward to just playing some golf with him in Tulsa and things of that nature. And then, we literally, the the night we were moving into our duplex, our rent house in Weatherford, we were painting it and we had taken a break to go get dinner. And I got a text from Hacks that said, you need to call me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'll bet he got a job. And sure enough, he had. So uh, literally the night we were moving in there, I, I found out that the job was opening up. The next day, which was a Friday, I sent who's the guy who's now my boss an email saying I was interested. Um, and I hadn't even started work yet. I it was, I was starting work the following Monday. So three days later in Weatherford and I, I sent him my resume, told him I was interested and told him I would follow up with him, uh, Tuesday of the next week. So I started work Monday. And to be honest at the time, like I, I knew that Hex had given him my name, but I knew that Hex had also uh, like told him about, you know, a, another couple names. So, I, I didn't really think I had much of a chance at the job, to be honest. Um, 
but I followed up with my now my current boss on on that Tuesday. They said they were thinking about adding some uh, some video work, which I had experience with. A part of my degree actually involves uh, video editing and producing, and so that worked out well. And I, they were going to take that idea up the ladder, and I, I thought I probably wouldn't hear back from them until the next week. And I actually heard back from them the next day and said, "Can you interview on Thursday?" We talked over the phone on Thursday with what's now both of my bosses, one on the radio side and one on the video side. And uh, apparently they liked what they heard. And the the next day they called and offered me the job. So I started on a Monday, got the call that I had been offered the job the following Friday, five days later. And that whole week, I didn't really know how far along I was in the process. I really didn't think I had much of a chance at it. And so I was really doing everything I could to stay focused and give 110% at Weatherford. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It was really nice to be around the people that worked there. It was like locally owned. The guy that owns that group of stations is actually, a, a he's in the state legislature in Oklahoma. His son is the general manager. Just really good folks out there in Weatherford and at Southwestern. I, I met all the coaches out there at Southwestern. Um, and I was really looking forward to spending a, what I thought was going to be at least a couple, three years there. Um, and then when that call came in on Friday, I, I had been kind of terrified all week. Like, what if this does actually come to fruition and I have to have to tell these guys that I'm leaving? And so the guy who was my predecessor, John Little, at uh, at Weatherford was still there training me. And so I went to him first. I was like, hey, oh, are you just offering me their play-by-play job? Who do I, like, how do I go about telling them this? And so he was like, well, let's talk to my immediate supervisor. And uh, we talked to him. He was really understanding, uh, and he said, "Why don't you let me go and 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 tell the GM and the and the owner because you know it's their their family business, their baby, and and they might not be quite as understanding." And they went and chatted for what seemed like forever. It was probably about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. And uh, my my immediate boss came back to me and said, "Well, we we don't really want to train you for a job that that you're not eventually going to do. So here's a check, and and we'll just say this is your last day." And so I I was kind of surprised at that i planned on sticking around and helping them you know until they got a new guy in but they just wanted to go ahead and make the transition which i was okay with we went ahead and moved back to broken arrow but uh i did before i left i wanted to go and shake the hands of uh, the general manager and the owner who were both still in the office and and thank them because they wouldn't like you know hired me believed in me trusted in me and uh I truly did appreciate that opportunity. I, I really was looking forward to working there for a long time, but it, this was an opportunity at ORU that I, I just plain and simple couldn't pass up. Chance to move home uh, into my hometown, call Division One basketball and baseball games like this. I, I could not turn that down. And so it, it was very tough. It was one of the toughest things I probably had to do to go in there knowing that they were upset and, and shake their hands and say thank you. But uh, that's kind of the way I was raised. I, I didn't want to leave without – letting them know that I, that I was thankful for the opportunity, just, you know, no matter how short it was. So there's a couple things in there uh, that you mentioned that I want to follow up on. And very early in that uh, last answer, you talked about having a checklist that you ran down uh, when you were applying for jobs. Are you willing to share what's on that checklist? Sure. Um, so the first thing is I have kind of a, a rubric for my, my, cover letter on that that goes in all my emails and i'm i'm very careful to i don't i don't have like i have a rubric but i don't have a form letter i write everything fresh so i have a rubric of what i want in my opening paragraph in terms of like um introductory uh why i'm interested in the job the second paragraph i want to state kind of my qualities and and i want to bring it home somehow in the third paragraph but i don't have like a specific sentence of what each of those are. I, I start from scratch on every cover letter and, and do research on the town, which for Weatherford was fun for me because it was a new part of the state for me. I'd spent a lot of time in, uh, obviously in green country, northeastern Oklahoma, around where I grew up, in southeastern Oklahoma because I had grandparents that lived there, in north central Oklahoma because my family is all Oklahoma State grads, so I spent a lot of time in and around Stillwater, and I had grandparents over there as well. Um, but I'd never really been out to the western side of the state, so I really just dove in and tried to learn what I could about Weatherford learn what I could about Southwestern Oklahoma State, uh, which, by the way, if you didn't know, that's where the Ryans played their, uh, like Rob and Rex Ryan, they played college uh, football at 
Southwestern. They actually still donate to the uh, like the fundraising events and things like that. Want um, to so, know something ironic? Sure, fire away. I applied for that job and I looked that up and learned the same thing. Did you really? See, <laughs> yeah. So you were doing your research. That's that's yes, really good. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I that was kind of the first thing I did was go through that cover letter and make sure I've got had everything specific. Um, told them when I would be following up. And, and when I called to follow up the first time I actually got his, uh, his message machine. And eventually he called me back cause they went through, I, I, I sounded like several applicants for that job, but anytime I call and follow up, and I, I think you and I might've discussed this before, maybe I, maybe I did with somebody else, but, um, when I call to follow up, I always try to have two or three questions that are sort of leading questions. And I don't mean that to sound negative, but I, I, I want to ask the question kind of knowing what the answer is going to be so that it accentuates the qualities that I want to put forth about myself. So, and for instance, with a Southwestern job, I wanted to say, you know, are you looking, you know, are you looking regionally for this job? What, what are you kind of looking for? And generally the answer to that is, well, if we can get somebody with connections to the state or whatever, that's good. Oh, well, I grew up in, Oklahoma, and I did these things growing up around the small towns in in northern Oklahoma, and, and uh, pheasant hunting in those areas. And so I, I I'm all about the small town life, and and kind of was able to connect that way. And so uh, anytime I call to follow up, I try to have a couple of questions ready for them about the job that will lead to me hopefully being able to express a reason that I might be good for that job. Um, after that, I generally try to stay in front of them in some other way, uh, whether that be a, a letter in the mail, some sort of a, a clever follow-up in this instance. Uh, for I don't remember exactly why, but in my phone interview down there, they uh, something was mentioned about mints of some sort. I don't remember why, but I ended up bringing a bag of mints to my in-person interview to just kind of break the ice and say, hey, I, you know, I remember that. I, I thought that was funny, so I just kind of played along with the joke. Um, so that was kind of something unique I did with that job. Other than that, that's, that's for the most part, what, what my checklist is, I, I think, and obviously I don't have it like sitting in front of me or anything, but that that's kind of the high points of, of the, some of the things I do to, to try to put myself in a good position to, uh, to be in line for some of those jobs. You mentioned that in Moberly you did obituaries and obviously those are <laughs> not the most pleasant thing to do. Did you ever screw up someone's name or have some sort of story about an obituary report gone wrong? Um, we had, on a fairly regular basis, a funeral home calling our radio station, because several of them were sponsors, and, and saying this, this, or this was wrong in the obituary. Now, everybody wrote them. I, I'm sure I had some, some mistakes in there, and sometimes it was a mistake on the form that the funeral home sent to us. Um, but yeah, we, there were, there were occasions that we had to deal with some angry funeral homes. Um, very, I, I can't remember though, anywhere like a, a family member of the deceased called in or anything like that. Fortunately, we avoided any of those situations, but, uh, yeah, obituaries were not only were they necessary in Moberly, they were a main driver of our content. Our obituaries page on our website up there was far and away the most visited page on our website. So it was, uh, something that I didn't necessarily think I would have to do in radio. Sure enough, if it wasn't literally the first thing I did in my job there, that was like the press for, to get you familiar with the system. They gave me an obituary to write up and, and get it in the system. So uh, it was, it was certainly a, a major part of that job. And one that, uh, to be honest, I'm not too uh, disappointed to not have to be doing anymore. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of death. As, as a friend of mine once said, I'm opposed to death in all its forms. So I, I, I'm kind of glad to have that part of my career behind me. All right, so you had your first season of Division One basketball this last year. You're in your baseball season, having your first uh, experience going through there right now. What's the biggest difference calling D1 games compared to calling NAI in high school games? Uh, it's faster. It is definitely faster, and, and I think that's something that is kind of a go-to for, for guys who have made that jump. Um, and I knew it would be faster, but I didn't think that it would be as quick as it was. I, I found myself stumbling over words sometimes early in the season because I, not because I didn't have the space in the play to get them out, but because I was trying to think so quickly. And, and one thing that I kind of struggled with early was 
I had an overload of information compared to what I was used to working with. Uh, our sports information director is phenomenal. And I've got like all of the stats, all of the background info that I could possibly need and digest for a basketball game. But I wasn't used to that. And so I had to figure out not only did I have to remake my charts to get all that information on there, I had to then train my brain to remember where to look for that information on the fly because I also don't have a color analyst. So it's just me. Um, so I had to figure out how to do that all at the same time. And it was a little bit of a struggle over probably the first five to 10 games. There would be times where I would either stumble over words or I would just have a big long pause trying to like think and remember where something was. And I would remember that I had stopped talking and there was action going on that I wasn't describing. So that was something that I had to work, work on early was catching up with the pace of the game and trying to digest all of this newfound information that I had and, and figure out how to work that information into the broadcast without overdoing it. Um, so, yeah, those, those were probably the biggest adjustments early on. You know, following Jeff Haxton, who's been on this podcast and obviously is a very good broadcaster to, you know, get a Big 12 job from Oral Roberts, obviously the bar is set high for you going into, uh, going into your, your time there. Was there mm-hmm. any fan reaction uh, either positive or negative where they're just you're different than what they're used to or they like because you're different they either like you or dislike you because you're different from what they're used to or was it a pretty seamless transition i i think for the most part it was fairly seamless um i i was, certainly was welcomed with open arms and and they were all very uh when, when jeff was on his way out when it was announced that he was going to go to tech um the ORU fan base was very complimentary of him, very congratulatory to him because he had spent a lot of time there over 10 years and, and really bought into the university. And that's one kind of neat thing about ORU is it's a, it's for a division one university, very small. It's a, an enrollment of a little over 3000. So it's kind of a, a tight knit family tucked away in South Tulsa. And uh, I, I really was welcomed with open arms by the fan base. I really enjoyed uh, the, the the reception that I received and and for the most part I got positive comments on uh, on Twitter and social media and things of that nature. Now I did not get on any of the message boards. Um, I, I try to avoid those things in general anyway. So for all I know they they could have been cussing me out on the message boards. I don't know, but but all of the the reaction that I saw was at the very least encouraging, if not uh, if not very welcomed. So let's get to one of my favorite parts and just listening to what you've said earlier, the broadcast horror stories from your career. Uh, You talked about having some engineering challenges when you were still in college and trying to cover those small high school games. What were some of those that are particularly memorable? Well, there are two that stand out. I'll I'll give you the shorter one first. We... uh, did a game at Holland Hall High School here in Tulsa, and we didn't. They didn't have any room for us in the press box, so we sat up on what was kind of the film part of the stands. They had a bit, a little bit of a flat part on the visiting side uh, with no bleachers in it for us to to set up our stuff. And uh, we we had a little table that we could set up on, and we got things rolling in there. But we didn't. Uh, it was going to rain that night, and we knew it was going to rain, so we ended up bringing a tarp and draping it over the chain link at the back of the uh at the back of the the bleachers and holding it forward over some more equipment uh, or over a you know kind of a big blockade thing to to keep the equipment dry so that was kind of interesting um but the the biggest one came in Chelsea Oklahoma home of the dragons we were in the press box to begin with but the the press box there is like aluminum like 10 10 wall press box and the drum line for the Chelsea band was directly below our window. And we had had kind of some troubles all season with background noise overwhelming the broadcast, despite the fact that we didn't have a crowd mic. I was just using the two headsets, one for me and one for my uh, color analyst. And it was just the, the, the snare drums and the bass drums were just bouncing off all inside the walls of, of that tin press box and just reverberating noise everywhere. So they couldn't hear a thing we were saying when we started the pregame show. So I took a break and I said, just keep it 
Until we come back, I will call you back in a minute. So we pack up all the stuff, which included, because we had been having these these issues with the background noise, we had built a wood uh, a wood shield around a drum shield, those plastic things that you see in front of drummers at, at concerts or whatever. We had built like a, a, a wood case for that to be able to haul it around to these games. So we hauled that thing up. It was cut in two pieces. They each weighed probably about 100 pounds. And packed everything up and marched it all around the uh, track at the end of the field to the visiting side where the Lincoln fans were. And my buddy, who is my color analyst, pulled his truck, backed his truck up next to the bleachers. And the plan was to do the broadcast from his truck, the, the bed of his truck. So I had me, my color analyst friend, another friend who came along that we played football with in high school, and my dad, and then my color analyst dad, all trying to set up equipment in the back of this pickup truck while the game is about to kick off. So I call in on the cell phone, and I'm doing the game, the, the beginning of the game, while they are setting all this stuff up. And I think we got about five minutes into the first quarter, and I took a timeout. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll call you back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug the phone into the equipment. We'll call you back here in just a second. So I get up there. We're standing in the truck bed, me and my buddy. All of our notes are like we had no place to put them now because we're just standing up in a truck bed. So we're just kind of talking to each other, and we've got at least rosters that we can go off of. And we thought everything was going fine at that point, once we had assembled everything in the back of this truck. Well, we were plugged into a uh, generator to run the little black box to take the cell phone signal uh, and or to get the, the audio from the headsets and put it into the cell phone and send it back to the radio station. Well, that generator was overpowering or, or sending too much electricity into the little black box. And so there was a big whir, like wee sound behind all of our audio. So we got to the next break and they're like, Hey, that's not going to work. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, you got to figure something else out. So I did the rest of the game with nothing but an away roster because I knew our roster by, by heart at that point. So I did the game with nothing but an away roster in one hand and my cell phone in the other hand, just walking up and down the sidelines, the visiting sidelines of the field. I would just follow the play. It was a horrible angle to try to call play-by-play from, uh, and I didn't have really inform- any information at my disposal, but the game got on the air, and uh, I was asleep about five minutes into the car right on the way home just from mentally trying to get through that whole experience. Do you have tape from that broadcast? Uh, probably. I don't. I, I'm not sure where it would be, but I I know I've got a bunch of the recordings um, back from the station. Now I didn't have a way. A lot of the games I recorded myself into my computer, uh, which I still have all of those. But obviously, without my normal equipment set up, I didn't have any way to do that. So uh, I, I don't know if I still have that one or not. I'll, I'll have to go back and, and try to look because that was. Uh, that was quite the experience there uh, with that whole thing. Oh, and, and by the way, the, the kicker to that story is uh, I later found out that the problem with all the background noise was my cell phone wasn't properly connecting to the cable. And so it was picking up the phone microphone instead of our headset microphones. So the whole time I was talking into a microphone that wasn't even on for the broadcast. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds like a, that, that's a good one. It was, uh, that, and there, there are some others like that. Uh, I mean, I went around to Pawhuska, Oklahoma, and uh, what are some other places? We went to Enid, Oklahoma, but not to the 5A school. We went to the little 1A school. So there's, uh, there, there are several stories from, from my days doing, uh, doing 2A football in Oklahoma. I know, and you obviously believe this as well, because we met at the National Sports Media Association slash SDAA conference in North Carolina, and I think that going to uh, those conferences is an important uh, relationship-building slash networking tool, especially for someone who lives in South Dakota or Oklahoma, some fairly isolated places. How important were those uh, in building your career? Uh, those were humongous. Um, the The first time I went was when I, I guess both times I was working in Moberly, but I was, I think, two years into working in Moberly. And uh, I have a, I got married right before we moved to Moberly and we had our first daughter, uh, let's see, a little over a year after moving up there. So 
I, at, the, at the time that I first went up there, I had a, a wife and a kid and was making no money in North Central Missouri. And so uh, it was, you know, I kind of had to scrape together some money just to get myself over there for the seminar. But I knew it was an investment towards my career. And it was kind of a motivating factor because I was like, man, if I'm going to spend all this money to come out here, I'm going to make sure I get my money's worth. And I, and I talked to some folks. So it, I, I, I really, it was really tough to put myself out there because I didn't have a lot to offer at that point. And one of the things about quote unquote networking is, is it really is relationship building. And when you're 24 years old working in small market radio in a small town in Northern Missouri, you don't have a lot to offer in the relationship. Like you're kind of hoping on the, on the kindness of, of strangers that you can start to build something here. And, and of course I would offer to do stuff, but what am I going to do, you know, being that isolated? So, uh, it, it was tough to, to put myself out there, but I, I did meet several people. And of course you and, and John Thayer were, uh, a, a couple that I met. And then, uh, actually John Little, I met at that first, uh, seminar that I went to and he was my predecessor in Weatherford. And so through that connection, I was able to at least say, Hey, I, you don't have to necessarily vouch for me if you have somebody else, but if you could at least like say, Hey, this would, this would be a good guy to look at. Uh, and John was willing to do that for me. So that was, you know, in part a way that I was able to kind of get a foot in the door in Weatherford for, for that job. And then this, I would absolutely not have this job at ORU without having gone the second year, uh, which was two years after I, I originally went, I, I, we were, we're having another baby. I didn't have the money to go in the year in between, but, um, I, I, that's that two years afterwards, which was this last summer was when I met Jeff Haxton. And for whatever reason, and, and I've tried really hard to connect with sportscasters, uh, you know, around my area. Um, uh, and it had, for some reason, never occurred to me to look up Jeff Haxton at, at Oral Roberts, despite the fact that it was eight miles from the home that I grew up in. And so when we met out there, we hit it off. Uh, we, we, you know, had both graduated from Oklahoma state. We were watching some baseball, hanging out, and uh, just just had some really great conversations. And without going to that seminar, I absolutely would not have this job because I'd, I'd, I would not have met Hax. He would not have been able to put my name in. There's there's just no way it would have happened. So really, um, those two seminars kind of played a big role in, in getting both of the jobs that I got last summer. And, and I'm not at all saying that uh, that's the only reason to go to these seminars. You do learn a lot of stuff. And one of my favorite things about going out there is getting to meet guys like you and John, guys that are like my age in the business, guys that are going to be growing through the business at the same time as me, because you and I are going to be able to go back 30 years from now when we're wrapping up our careers and we're sitting at the NSMA banquet and saying, hey, remember that time we first met back at, at the SCAA seminar all the way back in 2000, what, it's now 2017, that would have been 2014. And so uh, just some of those connections with, with guys that are, uh, guys or girls for that matter that are, are around your age in the business that are going through the same struggles that you're going through in terms of trying to, to climb up the ladder. Uh, I, I consider those invaluable and, and I'm really happy to have begun some of those friendships. And now it kind of works out that uh, I happen to be in a school that's in the same conference as South Dakota and South Dakota state. So I, I get a chance to maybe see you guys when we come out that direction, but uh, it, it, it really is an, an enjoyable time. You get to meet a lot of people. Uh, both people who are older and wiser than you in the business and, and that are your age and, and can kind of go through the growing pains with you. And uh, it, it kind of makes you feel like you're, uh, you're not alone. Like you, like you're a random group of people who, who know what you're going through. And, and that certainly played a big role for me. You know, you've mentioned a lot about your family here in this broadcast. And I try to be pretty transparent on my podcast and my blog, and I obviously have some nuptials coming up in a couple months, but it's a hard job to hold a relationship with. You're on the road a lot. There's a lot of challenges. What are some of the keys to, uh, you know, having a happy family life as a sportscaster? Well, uh, I, I was really fortunate that Carissa, my wife, uh, we started dating the summer before I did that first year of Lincoln football. So the, in between my sophomore and junior years of college and we were dating that first year, we were engaged the second year and she was with me at every game I did except two. And she was out of the country on missions trips for both of those, uh, both of those games. But I was very fortunate because she got a chance to come out and see what I was doing. 
how much I love doing it, but also kind of get a taste of what life would be like once we were married and, and, you know, what the demands were going to be. And of course those demands rose greatly when I was working in Moberly and working at sometimes 75 hour weeks. Um, but, but she knew the passion I had for it. She knew the drive that I had for it. She knew what my goals were. And so that played a huge role because we were able to establish that early and she kind of knew what she was getting into. Now, that being said, uh, it's, it's still not easy. I, I have to make very sure that when I am not at work, for instance, we just got home from a weekend road trip to Fort Wayne, Indiana for baseball. Uh, I got home and I knew this morning she was going to have to work and it was my responsibility to take care of the kids and not just to take care of them, but to make sure that I'm spending quality time with them and feeding into Carissa. So I, I have to make sure that I am, when I'm away from ORU, I'm away from ORU. Now that that was kind of tough today with the news, but um, it, I really try hard to make sure that I'm focusing on my wife and my children uh, when I am at home. And my Carissa also has a job that requires her to travel. So sometimes we kind of cross paths. And so it's even more important when we're both home to, to make sure that we're spending quality time together. But uh, it's, uh, it was tough because we had two kids in a, in a small town with not much of an income, but it really brought us together as a family because we were away from our extended family. We kind of had to, to build a, a community up there in Mobley and, and we've got a, a church that really fed into us and, and that plays a big, big role in it as well as, as, as my faith. But um, it, it was kind of a, a, a bonding time for us as a, as a family, as a whole. And it, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like as tough as it was, I, I had a time uh, when we were down here in Tulsa visiting family that I just kind of got really sad because I, I knew that, I was doing what I wanted to be doing and that I was taking the right steps, but I also felt like, you know, I, I had made, it, it's a tough choice to be able to, to do that, be working in that small town. I had, uh, and, and have two kids because I would have to sometimes leave my kids in Tulsa with my parents or, or Carissa's parents because I didn't have anybody to watch them in Moberly while I was at work for eight hours. So Chris was like out of town on a business trip. Sometimes they'd have to come down here and spend a week. And that was really tough for me, but, um, you know, we got through it. We, we bonded together as a family and, and, and I wouldn't trade any of how that played out for the world. You know, you mentioned your faith. Um, how important, how does that help you in specifically in the broadcasting business? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, and, and this kind of became evident this year, um, I, I have tend to have a very positive outlook on life in general, and, and I believe that my my faith is a big part of that. Um, I I know that whatever happens, that that God is in control, and that you know it, it, I take some peace in in the fact that there's there's a higher power, and I don't I don't have to worry quite so much as to how this whole thing is going to turn out. But it's given me a, kind of a really positive outlook on life. And, and that can be really beneficial when you're going through a basketball season, like we did this year, we won eight games. And there were times that it was a really big bummer coming back from Macomb, Illinois after a loss or coming back from uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota after a loss that it, it could be easy to get down. But I told coach, I, it was with about three weeks left to go in the season at one of the coaches shows. I was like, coach, I'm an, I'm an internal optimist. You're not, you're not going to get much like, Debbie Downer out of me as we go throughout the rest of the season. And, and I think it really helped me stay positive on the broadcast. Um, now in, you know, in, in 12 years after I've been doing this for a lot longer, I, I would, I really hope that that's still the same. And, and I believe that it will still be the same, but uh, I, I, I think that's just a big part of it to, you know, being able to stay positive, being able to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and, and knowing that when it comes right down to it, this is a job basketball and baseball are games and uh and I'm, and I'm still living my life for uh for my god and, and my savior and and trying to make an impact as much as, as i can in that way as well so what do you do in the off season to either get away from sportscasting for a little while and also what do you do in the off season to get better at sportscasting uh well i i try to at least tweak my my charts every off season uh kind of gather information like throughout the season what when did i need this information and, and where would i like it to be so that i can access it the most easily so i try to do that every off season i listen back to a lot of my own play-by-play in the off season because a lot of the time 
like I'll go through and get highlights out of all my games. That's one thing I do is cut highlights out of all my games to use for the next broadcast for basketball. But a lot of the time in the, during the season, I can listen to other broadcasters and learn from them. And, and you can't necessarily do that during the off season. So I try to listen to other broadcasters as much as I can during the season and kind of, you know, look at my own stuff in the off season to see how I can uh, make sure I'm getting better. And that's not to say that I don't listen to it during the season because I want to see where I'm at, but there's more time to kind of go through and dissect it during the off season. Um, in terms of getting away from sports casting, actually this year uh, it, I'm really looking forward to because I hadn't had the opportunity to do that in the past. Like when, when, when basketball season and when baseball season ended in Moberly, I still had to work 40 to sometimes, well, most of the time, 45 hour shifts. Cause we'd have a, a short weekend shift uh, at the radio station, writing news and stuff. I don't have that this year. So I plan, first of all, I, I know I'm going, uh, I mentioned my wife works for a missions organization. We're going to go serve uh, in, in Boston and Providence for several weeks this summer, probably four weeks or so, give or, give or take a week or two. And then uh, other than that, I, I plan on being around my coworkers at ORU that I'm not in the office with every day because I don't have like office hours. And I plan on playing as much golf as I can fit in before next basketball season starts. Um, other than that, it's, I, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. Be, you know, be around my family as much as I can and, and kind of enjoy a less hectic offseason than I've had in the past. Who are some of your favorite broadcasters to listen to? Well, uh, Dave Hunziker has always been a big one for me. I, I grew up listening to Bill Teagans, who preceded Dave and, and unfortunately was a victim of the plane crash, uh, the Oklahoma State basketball plane crash back in 2001. Um, but Dave, I, I listened to Dave more when I was really starting to grow and, and kind of appreciate the, the art that is play-by-play. Play. Uh, I, the thing I love about Dave's broadcast is they're just very imaginative and creative. The, the one phrase that has always stuck out to me, he, on a kickoff, that hit and just bounced out of the back of the end zone. There was no return. It hit and bounced out the back of the end zone. He said, that ball skipped out of the back of the end zone like a jackrabbit running from a fox. And I was like, well, I don't, how do you even come up with that off the top of your head? So I, I've always appreciated his creativity and, and kind of uh, almost kind of a folksy way that, that he goes about his broadcast. Um, I, I've begun listening to Jeff a lot, and, and I love how much one thing that I've noted about his broadcast that I'm trying to work on is I always know what's going on with him. I'm always like the play-by-play is always there, but I feel like I'm listening to he and his partner talk about like Texas Tech basketball when I'm listening to their broadcast. It's, it's, I don't feel like he's doing play-by-play. I feel like he's just there talking about the game with me, but also keeping me absolutely informed on what's going on with the play-by-play, and, and so I really like that. Um, some other guys that, that I like to listen to, um, even though it's TV, I like Brian Davis, who does the Oklahoma City Thunder, and, uh, and he's been very nice to me. Uh, I actually did a video internship with the Thunder while I was in college and had a chance to meet him there. Um, Wyatt Thompson at K-State, I like a whole lot. Um, Mike Kelly at Missouri is kind of, he has kind of a different style because it's very uh, kind of abrupt and straightforward, but his description is, is always there. It's really, really good. And, and so I've enjoyed listening to him uh, quite a bit as well. Those guys are all kind of regional. I really, really like Ian Eagles play by play. Um, and to be honest, I hadn't heard it much before uh, we saw him speak at that seminar back in 2014 um but i've listened to a lot of it since then uh, and and i really enjoy his play-by-play as well and then for baseball john shiambi is really really good i I think both on on radio and tv and and he's got a good flow with the guys that he works with as well so those are uh, i guess it's kind of a lot of names but but those are the guys that i I listen to probably the most and, and really enjoy all right. Well, it's been just about an hour. That's what I like to keep these two. Sometimes they go longer, but um, I guess if anyone wanted to reach out and get in touch with you, how would they do so? Uh, probably the best way is on Twitter at ORU Voice. Uh, ORU is capitalized, and then the, the voice is all lowercase uh, at ORU Voice. Also, feel free, uh, they can send me an email. It's Adam L. Hildebrandt, which is H I L D E B. R-A-N-D-T at gmail.com. But we can always exchange that too. If they uh, shoot me a follow on Twitter, I'll, I'll try to follow back and we can direct message or whatever. But uh, yeah, Twitter's probably the easiest way and then we can go from there. All right. Once again, we're talking with Adam Hildebrandt. He is the 
voice of Oral Roberts University basketball and baseball. And Adam, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. You bet. I, I really enjoyed it. I was uh, quite excited when you asked me to come on because I've, I've been listening to this since way, way back. I, I think it, I don't know how many of these you've done now, but uh, I caught back with uh, Tom Bowman and John Schlesnick and, and some of those early guys, uh, even you know, with Mark Boyle. So uh, I, I was I was quite excited to get the opportunity. I didn't I didn't think that I would be in a in a position where I would get this opportunity uh, at this point. So I, I I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, that's awfully nice of you to say. If you made it to Mark Boyle, that was the very first one. So it doesn't hey, go any farther than All that. Right. I've, I've at least remember a couple of uh, intro changes with the music and stuff. So. I think just one, because I think technically it was illegal to do what I used to do. So I, I tried to change that. <laughs> well, we, we won't talk about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, this has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. If uh, you're already subscribing, thank you. If you're not, well, I'd sure appreciate it if you did. You can do that by either clicking uh, the email uh, subscription at the top right-hand side of saythedamnscore.com. You can subscribe on iTunes and on Google Play Music and on Stitcher, or you can just follow updates on facebook.com slash saythedamnscore or follow me on Twitter at radio underscore Logan. That's going to do it for today. Next time you're on the air, just make sure you say the damn score a little bit more.